0: Well, it was back in 1933, and the Depression had reached its depth. The country was in a state of weariness and emotional instability after uh, the crash of 1929 and recession into a depression. The very condition of the people was, was extremely fragile throughout the country. Everyone was gripped by concern and anxiety over the, the anxiety and the danger of what was referred to at that time as common difficulties that everyone faced. And in that context were some words, actually in a speech of a leader. Let me share these words with you. He said, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He went on later to say in that same speech, it is that fear, that nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Most of you know these are the words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his inaugural speech as he became President of the United States. They were timely. And, and incredibly necessary in a country that was really at, at a turning point after a lot of years of financial le- turning into emotional and many other ways instability. But they were also very catalytic. They, they changed things. They helped people understand the nature of the fear that was taking place in the culture at that time. Basically, by saying this, FDR was telling the American people that their fear was actually making things worse than they were. Now, it's a very familiar quote. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Most people can quote that. Most people know that, know who it's attributed to, know the time in the country where those words were spoken. And we think about today, and some things really are the same. Fear is still present. In all the accomplishments from 1933 to 2017 that humankind and America alone has made are overwhelming, some great accomplishments. Yet still in the midst of that, there is fear. Fear hasn't gone away. It's still that natural, unpleasant emotion that we all experienced. It's caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous to us and and it's that thing or person is likely to cause us pain or threat so in some ways fear is still fear but there are some things different as you have likely noticed fear is no longer something that in this culture we seek to relieve in people and we seek to settle in ourselves and to others like the words of FDR attempted to do. And fortunately, we live in a culture now where fear is something we actually exploit. In this sense, we live in a very different world, don't we? Not only are we plagued by fears of every kind, some of the things we could have never imagined, like a mass shooting, There are things like natural disasters which have always taken place, or even political unrest for that matter. But fears are on every level. And it's actually become a tool of power, a tool of leverage to manipulate and incite people, incite them to act a certain way, to buy a certain thing, or even to believe in a certain someone. But the reality is, in our culture, in many ways, runs on fear. And so, where do we find ourselves in this? Because there's not a person in this room that doesn't have fears. And the point of the message today is not to just say, hey, uh, just uh, pull up your bootstraps and put your little courageous cap on and let's just get moving. I mean, if you have a fear of public speaking, that one may work, right? Because what, what's somebody going to tell you? The fear of public speaking is one of the most common fears that people have. And so, like a fear like that, when we're afraid of something that we have to do, what often happens is they say, well, the way to battle that fear is just kind of get in there, get in front of people, and, and get over that fear. Work through it. Well, that may work for that. But what about the fear of being walking out into a public setting and being shot? The courageous cap won't do much for you there, will it? And those are the types of fears, different, but very present in our culture today. You see, handling fear, responding to fear, is not simply about trying to control an emotion. Because fear is an emotion. It is a God-given emotion. Just like many of the things that God designed in us as his, his creation, human beings, fear is natural. And there's some really good things about that, right? Because when you are in danger, your life is in danger, it's good to have a sense of fear because that can remove you from a place of danger and save your life. In the spiritual world, it is good to have fear of evil. Because we don't want evil to pervade our lives more than it already does. Or to control us. That's why we rely on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But what do we do as Christ followers? You know, when I started working on this message, the first thing that came to my mind is, well, we just have to trust God more and turn to God. And after many hours of work this week, guess what the answer is? That. Now, I know that may or may not be very helpful, but what I want to do today is spend some time in saying, so how do we do that? How do we truly trust God more with the fears, not just the public ones that we are all exposed to on a daily basis? What about those deep, dark, private fears that we have? Those fears that we may be a little bit ashamed of that have control on us, over us. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture to start our time today that's found in Romans chapter 8. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And Paul speaks these words as one who has been fearful, who has faced trial, who has faced a lot of things in his life. And he writes in this section in Romans about what it means to live life in the Spirit, life in the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, The Spirit of God, lead us, lead you, lead me. And I think his words are rather significant for us today. So if you have a copy of scriptures, open up to chapter 8, verse 14. Uh, If you don't, take a look on the screen. Paul says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now just stop there a minute. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That is no minimal truth. That is not something to fly by. There is assurance, there is hope, there is power in that. And because of that, we can read in verse 15. The Spirit you receive... Does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Some of you had the privilege and joy of growing up with a father in your home that loved and cared for you, and I know some of you didn't. But If you didn't experience this, you've likely witnessed it or heard it. In those moments as a young child, you are just afraid. Something has startled you. There's a noise you didn't know in the middle of the night. And you run to dad. And you run to dad and you run to to be embraced by his arms. Now, for those of you that didn't experience that as a child, let me tell you, as a Christ follower, you have arms to run into. That's our identity, right? Identity is sons and daughters of the king. And because of that, we don't have to be a slave to fear. Paul speaks of identity in Christ. And that's what I want us to talk about a little bit today. Because when we embrace who God is and who God created us to be, and the identity we're to live in as Christ followers, fear does very different things. Fear does one of two things in our lives. And depending on who we are and where we are in our lives, it will do one of two things. The first thing that fear can do is fear can hinder you. Maybe you've experienced, maybe you've heard stories of the person who will not leave their home because their fears are so overwhelming that they are paralyzed. Literally cannot step outside their door. It may sound silly, it may sound foolish, but it's reality. And if it, depending on the fear, it could probably be true of us as well. So fear can hinder us, and it can lead us to be something that we're not, someone we're not created to be. But fear also has the power to do something else. Fear has the power to heal us. Because fear can be a motivator us to depend on who we should depend on. So let's take a look. Genesis 3 is where I want to go back to because so many things happen in Genesis 3. You know it as the story of the fall. Creation has taken place and we come to this point where God and Adam and Eve are experiencing fullness in their relationship with one another. And then it all fell apart. But I want us to look at it in light of fear in our lives because I think it's very telling of what happened with Adam and Eve. We're going to look in chapter 3 verse 10 and we're going to look at right after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They sinned against God. They chose their way instead of God's way. And this is what happened in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, please note that this is not the first time this has happened. They weren't surprised that, oh, God showed up. No, God was spending tons of time in the garden. And it was good. Because as he spent time in the garden and with Adam and Eve before the fall, they were in relationship. They embraced. In fact, they ran to God when God came into the garden. It was such a sweet time of fellowship, personal relationship that we all long for. We were all created for. But this time it was different. This time it was different because of their sin. And so what happened was this. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So instead of running toward God, instead of saying, Oh God, you're here. Daddy, you're here. Let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's enjoy each other in relationship Because of sin, they hid. Adam had never hid in the garden before. Now, I love what happens here because God knew where they were. But what God always does with us is he gives us an opportunity. He gives us an opportunity to respond to him in dependence. And so, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Which I just laugh when I read this. And I'm like, you know where he's at. But he was giving Adam an opportunity. Adam answered, verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was, what's the word? Afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. You see, sin, their sin of eating the fruit exposed so much. Not only their natural bodies, but they exposed them to evil. The presence of evil. And we've all been living through that curse since then, right? But I think what's very telling about this is some things happen here that I think are indicative of how fear hinders us. What we see, first of all, is that Adam sinned. And sin always, always, always brings brokenness, bondage, and slavery to sin. Always. There's never an exception to that. And what it does, even beyond that, is it brings isolation. Don't let anybody ever tell you that their sin is their sin and it really doesn't impact anybody. That is the biggest lie from the pit of hell I've ever heard. Every sin impacts, and partly because it initiates brokenness and it brings isolation. You all, every one of you in your life, can look at the sins in your life, but also the sins of other people's lives around you. And it always brings brokenness. It always brings isolation. And it brings fear. Because there's no longer this beautiful relationship. There is now this brokenness. And it instills fear in us. It instilled fear in Adam. But Adam had the opportunity. He had the opportunity to say in confession, God, I've sinned. He had the opportunity to admit what had taken place. But instead, he chose to hide. Because he was fearful. It's good to be fearful of God in a healthy way, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is, instead of acknowledging his wrong, instead of embracing God, even in that really sinful moment, what Adam chose to do was hide. Fear is about hiding in so many ways. You see, when Adam hid, when he ran away from God, him and Eve, what happened is right then, actually it happened when he sinned, but at that point when he ran away from God and hid, Adam stopped being who he was created to be. Anytime we we hide from something which fear incites, we stop being who God created us to be. Because our focus is on what we are afraid of instead of the one who created us. Fear hinders us when it pulls us, when it separates us or weakens our relationship with God. And It does it every time. It has the capacity to do that every time. It has the capacity to cause us, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go run and hide. I don't know how to handle this. I'm all alone. I'm going to go run and hide. Fear is a manufacturing facility of that, hiding. And when that happens, fear hinders us. It draws us away from everything about God that we need to know and be, and it creates separation between us and God. But here's the beautiful part. Here is what God does with brokenness. is He brings healing. Fear can do something very different than you and then cause you to run and hide. Fear can bring healing. Go with me to Psalm 91. This is a psalm that... um. A lot of people go to when they're scared. A lot of people go and rest on these words. And there's some debate about who wrote this psalm. Some say David did. Some say others. It really doesn't matter because the truth still permeates through this. And the truth is, is that this is hard. This is one of those psalms. I want to say, I believe, but I struggle with it. Now, don't get nervous that your pastor doesn't believe in the Word of God. That's not it. I believe in what it says. I do. But it's not hard to, it is hard to believe it. Because I read things in this psalm and I'm like, well, what about, oh, and, and what about this point? What about this, this thing in this person's life? But I'm learning a lot about God and myself as I meditate on this psalm. And I encourage you to do that beyond today because we're only going to look at two verses. And maybe another time we'll pick up and look at the rest. But these first two verses I really think has helped us understand the rest of the psalm the way we should. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91, the psalmist says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I want to be there. Now, I can just say I can be there, but I don't just want to believe it with my mind. I just don't want to believe it from a mind standpoint. I want to believe it in my heart and soul. And when I believe that, when I seek to live that, and I come to God acknowledging that, He heals every time. See, this isn't just about, well, turn your focus from fear and put it on God. That's part of it, that's the mind part. But we all know that the mind is only a part of who God created us to be. He created us in heart and soul and strength. And and when we're willing to go beyond just a positive attitude and say, no, truly what we have to do to let fear heal is we have to surrender. We have to surrender every fear we have to God, not just in our mind, but in our heart and soul. And the only way to do that is to truly confess that to God. Fear in itself is not a sin. Fear in itself is not a sin. But what we do with it, has a lot of capacity to be sinful. But isn't that true of most things in our life? There are most things in our life that in and of themselves are not sin. But if we take it and we hoard it and we hold on to it and it becomes something we try to control and we try to manage, including our lives, what happens is that it hinders us. God heals when we're willing to do this. We're willing to do this and continue to let go because then it becomes something where we are relying on God for much more. When we give our fears to God, whatever they may be, we rely on God's power. And I I am trying as a Christ follower not just to read words and say, okay, I believe it, not because I want to doubt it, but I want it to be who I am. When I say to somebody, I want you to know this is who God is. I want them to know that it's not just something that I have put in my mind and studied about and I have the educational ability to comprehend. No, I want them to know in my heart and soul that I believe that God is the most high, that I believe that God is almighty because how I live will show that, right? We can say what we want all day long. But if if we don't live it, that belief, that faith does not go to our very core. And that's who we are to be as Christ followers. There are four names of God in these first two verses. The first one is most high. The second one is almighty. And both of those refer to God's power. And the question I always take back to myself, the question I challenge you with today is do you believe? Not do you know, do you believe? If you were faced in your life with the greatest of fears, do you believe that God is Almighty? Because if you do, God will take that fear and do something very different with it. But if you say, well, most of the time he is, there I say that's a weak faith, and we need a bigger faith. I need a bigger faith. Every day God challenges Dan to say, your faith needs to be bigger and it needs to stop being defined what you see and what you know, but who I am. That's where our faith has to come from because when I understand who he is, I know who I am and who I am not. So the question is, is how will you dwell in the shelter of the Most High? How will you rely on God's strength it starts most, I believe, by burying, immersing, meditating yourself on Scripture. To know the promises of God. Not just because somebody told you. Not just because somebody, somebody preached them at you. But because you know. You've lived them. You've lived following God in the tough times. You've lived following God in Jesus Christ when things are really good. I don't want to be a Christian who lives... In such a way that it's something that just has been given to me. And I just regurgitate it and give it to somebody else. I want to embody it. I want us to embody it. Because otherwise it's really not going to make much of a difference. It's that whole label versus life that we've been talking about. I want to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, which means that I have to, we have to lay our fears before God. You see, when we isolate ourselves, which is what fear does, there's this thinking that nobody else really understands what I'm going through. Maybe not, but God does. Isn't that all that matters? I mean, truly, and a lot of times that phrase is used as a means of keeping people away. Let me tell you why the church is such a beautiful creation of God. Because God says you will not be isolated. You cannot be isolated. And you are going to learn about me. You are going to grow in me. Because I'm going to put you around others who are doing the very same thing. They're growing in the maturing. We need each other. You teach me so much about what it means to follow God. And I hopefully teach you a few things too. And I hope most of my teaching is not what happens here. I hope it's where you see me in other places in life. Yeah, this is a part of it. I get that. That's fine. But if all you can say about my life, if all you can say about your life, yeah, when I was preaching at them, boy, they learned a lot. God's Word wants to permeate every part of your life. And so part of that is to acknowledge your fears, share that with people who love you and who love the Lord. And then dwell in the scriptures. Dwell in the promises of God. Because fear robs us of that all the time, doesn't it? Fear takes all of that away and makes it look like junk. It's not junk. Well, Dan, how do you know that? Because I know what God has done in history. I also know what God has done in the lives of people around me that I love. What God is doing right now. Psalm 46, 1 and 2 says... God is our refuge and our strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, may I add, though there may be mass shootings, there may be political unrest, I may lose someone I love, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is still God. That's what we sing about, raising God's name up, raising the name of Jesus Christ up. Because when everything else is away, the mountains go away, and all the things that we find security go away, something stands, and that is God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is not shaken by anything happening in this world. And I don't say that lightly like your fears aren't important or don't matter. Believe me, I get it. I get it. I experience those as well. But where God brings healing into my life is to say, okay, here they are, God. Because every time I tell you, every time, and I see this in people's lives all the time, every time when I do this, God says, okay, I want to I bring healing in this area of your life. And frankly, most of the time it says, okay, you've been holding way too tight to that thing. That fear. And, and it's defining you, it's shaping you. No, that's who I am to be in your life. You see, we don't hear the Holy Spirit when we are clinging to fear. And so God says, give it to me. God says, where are you? Just like he did to Adam. Where are you? That's our opportunity. That opportunity continues to come, not only in relying on God's power, but I would have to say in this circumstance of fear, in, in this, this topic of fear, I think this next one actually trumps it a bit. Okay, It's more significant. It's believing not just in God's power, but in his presence. Because that fear of, isolate, of isolation and being alone, that is, that is significant. But the second two names of God in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91 are the Lord and my God. And those refer to two different things. The Lord refers to the covenant that, that God had with Israel. We have a new covenant. After this was written, we have a new covenant in Jesus Christ. But it still relies on the very relationship with God. But it also, that second name, my God, speaks of a of an intimacy, speaks of a deepness, speaks of a personal relationship. Where God knows everything you're going through. God knows the depths of your pain. And spirit. And mind. And body. God knows. He knows every part of that. And says. I'm going to walk with you. He knows because. He knows the source of your fear. He knows. He knows. What initiated your fear? He knows the insecurities around your fear. He knows the grief in your fear. He knows the mindset of your fear. He knows the heart set of your fear. He knows the soul set of your fear. And He says, Where are you? Where are you? Come and trust in my knowledge. Nobody else knows what you're going through right now, but I do, God says. My son does. My spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ. When we trust in Christ's death on the cross, we receive the spirit of God as we read about in Romans 8. And that is a spirit of presence. Not a spirit of some lofty knowledge. It is a spirit of presence based on love. Based on rescue. And so we see that in two areas in our life. Let me read Isaiah 41.10 briefly. So, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But when we trust in God's presence, we're never going to be alone. And it's not some fairy tale, it's not something that we're just trying to convince everybody to believe. But I want to ask you have you ever walked in the presence of God? presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe many of you had. It's not some out-of-body, weird experience that is only for those who are really holy. No, it is for those of us who simply cry, Abba, Father. It's those of us who commit our lives to Him, no matter how perfectly or imperfectly, more the case, right, that we live it. Jesus doesn't say, "I'm going to send you my spirit if you live a perfect life." No, Jesus says, "I send you my spirit so that you can become more like Jesus, and one day I will restore you to everything you were created to be." And so He helps us to do that in two ways. He helps us to do it in life. Second Timothy one seven says, "For the spirit of God, gave, the spirit God gave us, does not make us timid." Translation of that word is is fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God has equipped you for everything you need in life. Everything. You see, where you are right now, or where you may be headed, or where you've just come from, is no surprise to God. He knows every element of that. And he continues to say, where are you? That's that invitation that's always there. And your response is to say, be present. Here it is. Here's everything, everything that ceases, that exists. Take it. So no matter what evil is in our world, church, God is present. Now, I'm not going to pretend to explain all of why things happen. That's not our job. And if you're trying to do that, please focus your attention on something else. Like telling everybody who the King of kings and the Lord of lords is, not why something happened. You see, that's a different kind of hiding. That's trying to explain our circumstances by playing God. Stop. We don't know why. We will never know perhaps why of some of these things, and at least not before we go to heaven. But what people want to hear from us, despite what they ask, what people look to Christ followers for is, help me find hope. Help me find assurance. They may say, hey, tell me why this happened. The reality is, they can't handle it, and we can't either. And will it matter if we know why something happened? No, it won't. But it will matter if we can point them to Jesus. It will matter if we can say, you know what, I can't explain what's going on. But there is one who will walk through every part of it with you. And no matter how much the mountains may fall away and you may fear for your very life, is that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, will be with you. You see, everything else goes. Everything. That's all we have. That's all we have. We have nothing else. And so in the end, when we are facing death, we can do that without fear. We can face death without fear. Can you, can you even imagine how God brings healing to us at that, t- that time of death? Nothing in this world will do that as much as we try. That's why Jesus, that's why he died on that cross. He said, let me do the dying. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, since the children, the children of God have flesh and blood. In other words, we're human. He too shared in their humanity, that's Jesus, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We don't have to be afraid. See, faith in God is eternal. Did you hear that? Faith in God is eternal because God is eternal. And that's what we need to endure, not only facing things in this life, but the freedom that death will ensure us. I absolutely believe That as we look around for opportunities to rely on the presence of God is that our antenna need to be up. Not that we're searching for something that doesn't happen. But you, you need to be a reminder to other people that are in the midst of things that God is present. Because right then they may not be able to see that. I shared that truth with somebody the other day. I said, I know it doesn't look like it, but God's present. And I'm going to trust, and I'm going to walk with you, and we're going to trust that together, even though it doesn't make sense. Church has a huge role for us in this community right now. To be present. To be the presence of Christ, not because we are Christ, but because the Spirit of Christ lives in us. That video was just a small area of how we need to be present. But it is an important one. Here is what I love about God bringing healing through fear. It's because of this. When you and I give our fears to God, what we are actually doing is we are nurturing a holy fear of God. You see, the Bible talks about all over the place that fear of God, fear of God. Proverbs 1 says the fear of God is the beginning of, anybody know it? Wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So I'm supposed to run around scared, run away from God? No. The fear of God talked about in in the Bible is all about a reverence and an awe, an appreciation for power and character and authority, and not only appreciation, but a trust. And so when we give our fears to God, God heals, and we are nurturing a holy fear of God in our life. That is something beautiful. Because when we live with a holy fear of God, of His reverence and all, what we're saying is, I believe in who you are. Not just in my mind, but in my whole soul. I know who you are. And I'm going to continue to trust, even when it's hard. Because here's the difficulty. Sometimes our fears are realized. Sometimes the very thing that we feared comes true. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when that happens, what's left? Nothing. Nothing. A whole lot of brokenness. I want to be a person whose faith is so big, not for my glory, but for God's, and that my dependence on Him nurtures a holy fear in my life, so much so that other people see it and look to Him. Because fears are realized every day. It's a broken world. But I want to take the words of Jesus in John 14 very seriously. And I want to be able to believe them with all my heart. John 14 one says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus said. Believe also in me. And then in. Verse 27, later on, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So today, as we spend our time reflecting on this truth, I want to ask you, As God would ask you, not that I'm Him. But imagine God right now saying, where are you? Where are you? I want you to consider whether your fears are overwhelming your life. Or whether you're truly in mind, heart, and soul giving those to God. Because what I've been praying and what we as leadership continue to pray, is that that will bring healing in your life in whatever form. And let me just tell you, that's going to look maybe different than you thought it should or would. But it's not healing, any less of a healing. Let's be a people who love God and aren't afraid to take every fear and lay it before Him. Father, Father, Take these words and make them in us something that we embody. Lord, you know in this this congregation, this part of this congregation right here, fears are abound. And Lord, wherever people are at, I would pray is that you would remind them of who you are and that they would run to you, not away from you, and hide. But more importantly, God, when we leave this place of worship today, is that we would continue to depend on you. Use us in the lives of others. Allow others to speak into our lives so that we might we might have a holy fear of you. So God, as we close in worship, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.